Trash Cinema. Hey everybody, welcome to Trash Cinema. This episode will be discussing uh, a couple of the don't movies. This is something we discussed in our last episode if you uh, listen to the Exterminator uh, double feature. I'm your host, Michael, and on the other side is Kersey. Hey, what's going on? Uh, well, you know, I went through the don't movies. Uh, there's actually more than I ever expected. I went through a list, and I think I showed it to you, and there's like 30 of them during the 70s and 80s. I was actually shocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a very, uh, there's a surplus of this kind of Yeah, and most of them are Grindhouse movies. They do a whole joke in the Grindhouse film, you know, the Edgar Wright trailer, don't. So, yeah, the the Edgar Wright trailer kind of spoofs the whole don't uh, series, and it's just shocking how many movies are made with that title, and honestly, I don't know. They weren't very good, the ones that I chose. I, I, I choose poorly. <laughs> well, I chose half. I chose one of them, so that was my fault. Yeah. But I, the reason I chose, I, I chose Don't Go Into the House, and I chose that one as uh, the exterminator, uh, you know, the the exterior two had the guy in the the big outfit with the the movie, so I just thought of it. Yeah, the uh, the other ones that I watched, it don't go in the woods. Nothing happens. I think it's actually called Don't Go in the Woods Alone, but you never notice that on the movie poster. Absolute garbage. Made for like twenty five thousand dollars. Nothing that really happens. Uh, don't answer the phone was kind of a higher budget, uh, like an independent studio release. That was okay, but there's nothing truly exciting to talk about. The only reason I know about it is because a friend of mine did. Uh, the moderation for the commentary track years ago and uh that's the only reason i've seen it it's okay it's about like an la stalker just chasing down women and, and uh uh strangling them it's kind of based on the night strangler i think in los angeles okay. yeah yeah i was gonna say so you just basically described every don't uh movie yeah uh, as guy goes around killing people that's, that's everyone yeah, so Don't Answer the Phone is okay, but it's nothing really exciting. The two that really fascinated me, though, are the ones that we're going to talk about here. Don't Go Near the Park is fucked up. It is on the uh, video nasties list in England for a reason. It is such a bizarre movie. I mean, it, it, it's like two or three different movies competing at the same time. Yeah. It becomes... We'll, we'll get into it, but it, it is so bizarre to movie like this well i mean it opens up you you have no idea what's going on it doesn't have a normal opening it's just like the, this whole thing where this guy comes up to someone in the middle of the park it grabs them throws them to the ground kills them by ripping their guts out and, and consuming them and you're just like what the fuck and then all of a sudden he gets younger and you're like I, I i have no idea what's going on <laughs> oh we might have watched different versions because mine had a very long uh opening with a text crawl to explain what's happening but even then it didn't make sense yeah, I don't. I, I feel like my version was truncated, and I find out what's going on afterwards. Like, so it's this whole story about the brother and sister, and they're cursed, and they're basically to live forever, but they're mm-hmm. gonna age. And the only way to retain their youth is to consume the guts. Was it the heart of uh, the younger, like of children and stuff like that, so they can regain their age or their looks? Yeah. Okay. So the it, 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 the the version that. I- in the past, I think 16,000 years ago, I think it was 12,000, it didn't matter how long ago it was, a very long time ago, and uh, some witch curses them for doing something, but I don't remember what it was, I guess it doesn't matter, but curses them that they have to stay on Earth forever, 
or at least until uh, the sun sets on the zodiac sign, and they have to give a sacrifice of a virgin, then they can live forever in paradise instead of on earth. But I think there's also the caveat that they age 10 years for year, and so in order to counteract that, they have to eat people. And that's the premise. Yeah, it's a crazy premise. And don't they have like telekinetic powers? <laughs> Am I wrong? I watched this like six weeks ago, so I've seen about like, a thousand movies since then. But isn't that one of the things like they have powers? Again, they never explained that. They <laughs> never explained that, but it just happens because it's convenient. Yeah, it's it's a really weird movie. You're like it's you like you said, it's like four movies melded into one, and it just keeps switching around. You're like, hold on a second, can I just can you finish up the first thing? And then they have a whole like. Sub story of this old cop trying to help this kid who, oh, by the way, Mino Peluse was uh, a hero of mine as a child because he was in a TV show called The Voyagers where he would go back in time and fix all the mistakes. And uh, I, I think he retired and I, I don't know what happened to him. I guess he just got sick of being an actor. Yeah, well, I mean, his movie choices weren't exactly top notch. <laughs> but he, he was probably the movie. You cut it. But out. anyway, so. Yeah. Uh, so so, oh, sorry. Anyway, so the first part of the movie that I just explained, the setup, that ha that's how it, it sets up. And then that's when it opens uh, to where I guess you started with where uh, it just opens with him brutally killing somebody in the park without really much explanation. Yeah. And then he uh, de-ages. And then um, for some reason, he finds some lady and then he follows her home, and of course she takes a shower and gets naked because we have to see boobs, I guess. And then uh, he breaks into her home and then starts yelling, and then she says something like, are you my tenant or something like that? Where it's like, <laughs> oh, are you here for the ad? And he's like, yeah, why not? They pretend as if that's like it's only a little abnormal. I don't think anyone who in your house and like stalks you, that's like – a normal thing to do. No, but I... anyway, that's, and so then that's what happens. And then he like keeps weird trophies or like he keeps all the news clippings of the people he's killed. And she sees that and freaks out. And then he uses his mind power to have sex with her. It's <laughs> such a bizarre movie that I can't do it justice to explain. Yeah. It's, it's one of those truly great head scratchers because a lot of these movies that we you know, from this era when, you know, they're, they're gory films, the only thing about it is the gore. Well, this has insane gore, but also at the same time has a story that's just like, well, hold on, what? It's not generic, but it's also like so poorly put together that it, it's fascinating in its mm -hmm. awfulness. Yeah, but you know what? Actually, the, the, the point when he, that mind trick, and then he like makes her fall in love with him after he, uh, after they have sex or whatever, that's actually when it gets kind of good and interesting because, like, they have this setup where he, they have a daughter, and that daughter's going to be their sacrifice later on, I guess, the, for the guy and the sister. Yeah. Could they pick someone else? Child, <laughs> and he – and yeah, why not? I don't understand why they had to have her, but it doesn't, I guess it doesn't matter. Anyway, so they chose her for some reason. And then he shows her a lot of attention and affection, takes her out places – and his wife is very uh, apprehensive or, like, very jealous of their relationship. And it was actually kind of interesting to see that uh, play out. And then they just 
drop it about halfway through the movie when uh, she grows up to be like 18 and kind of just leaves the house randomly. I, I, it's it's so all over the place. That I don't I I don't really remember when that. Yeah, I uh, I would I would say no on the film, but there is some interesting stuff in it. Um, if if you're into like bizarro movies, like head scratcher from movies, but for the most part, I I just think it's too low budget to be entertaining. Yeah, I I actually liked the first half because it was so crazy from genre to genre, or at least premise to premise. But the last half really drags on when they try to connect everything, and it's just really embarrassing and annoying. Like they 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 they're trying to make up for what they already messed up, but they should have just kept going with it and just kept making it weird. The uh, the movie was shot by a 19 year old, so I mean you gotta give them credit for at least putting this together at the time. Most people can't even hold down a job at a fast food joint. <laughs> it might have been directed by a 19 year old, but it was certainly written by a five year old. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at this. So this made the video nasty list, and I'm looking at this. In the UK, the movies that were uh, uh, successfully prosecuted and banned from England, and um, some of the notorious ones, House by the Cemetery, House on the Edge of the Park, I Spit on Your Grave, Blood Feast, The Burning, Cannibal, well, there's a lot of cannibal movies that take too long to say all those, but um, Last House on the yeah. Left, Tenebrae, a.k.a. Unsane, Zombie Flesh Eaters, uh, driller, killer, and don't go in the woods. I don't, I don't really get it though because this movie is not that. Uh, it's not. It's a lot of those. It, it's it's gory, but there's only a couple scenes where that happens. I, I suppose there is in that list because it's kind of just the. You cut out really bad. I can't. I, I couldn't tell what you're saying. I'm sorry. Damn it! All right. Uh, well, I was just saying that I don't really see why I would end the list anyway, because no, for one's going to watch it because it's so low budget. I can't imagine it being theaters. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's just it's it's just a crappy it's just a crappy dumb movie. I mean, I don't, I don't really see it. Now, I think the other movie that we watched, uh, "Don't Go in the Basement." Wait, damn, I keep getting it wrong. Is it "Don't Go in the Basement" or "Don't Go in the House"? It don't go in the house. Don't go in the house. Don't go. Don't, don't go in the basement. That's a movie, right? I, I, there's too many of these. <laughs> I'm sure it is. It must be. Yeah, uh, don't go in the house is a much higher budget, uh, almost like a micro studio kind of film. I thought it was really well done. The acting is actually really interesting, and the deaths. My God, you it wait. It takes a while for it to get going, but once it does, you're like, holy shit. Yeah, it gets very intense. I was actually surprised. Because because I remember watching it the first time, not particularly, I thought it was okay, but I actually started watching it uh, a second time, and I, I got pretty engrossed in it. Uh, the beginning, a little silly and weird. Uh, so the premise of this one is that, a, I guess he's a steel worker of some kind, and uh, there's an accident uh, where one of his co-workers catches on fire, and he kind of realizes that he likes that, or it excites him in this creepy way. Uh-huh. And... Um, then from there, his uh, mother dies, <clears throat> and he kind of like goes and, and imagine and hear her throughout the house, and it and he slowly and eventually uh, develops this like fetish of bringing people to his home and then burning them with the flamethrower, and it's very creepy, very brutal. It's very uh, psycho inspired, definitely. Uh, but yeah, definitely. obviously, is that. 
Yeah, I just thought, yeah. um, you know, it starts off with, like, the voices in his head, and it's messing with him, and then it just escalates. I just thought it was one of those, there's not a whole lot to say about it. It is kind of a psycho ripoff <laughs> mixed with uh, more extremism. It's funny, I thought this came out after The Exterminator, so it's obviously not influenced by Exterminator, but it has its own unique vibe, and I just thought yeah. it, was, it was just really well put together. Yeah, and I don't really, I don't really know what else to say about it. I would uh, recommend it definitely. It's yeah. a pretty decent watch. It's funny, is I was listening to uh, the pot, what was it, um, the Ralph Report with Ralph Garman, and then Kevin Smith was the guest. And they were talking about movies that were shot near where they lived. And he talked about this, and I was like, "Is he a fan of this?" He's like, "No, I just happened to film where I was living." I was like, "Oh well, never mind." Yeah, <laughs> yeah I thought he was listening to our podcast. Like, oh, man. Undercut us. <laughs> uh, there is a really well done DVD out there with uh, the remastered widescreen print uh, commentary by the main star Dan Grimaldi. It's from Shriek Show. They're not a real well known uh, label for DVDs, but um, I've heard that they like what little titles they have. They do a really good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other ones do they do? I'm trying to look it up right now. Uh, Shriek Show. I just remember like getting a bunch of post apocalyptic movies from them. Shriek Show. Um, I'm a huge sucker for Italian ripoff movies of American films, and uh, any any company that does those. Uh, so Media Blasters yeah, is like zombie. Yeah, Media Blasters is the main company, and Shriek Show is their horror line, like the way it is with Shot Factory and Screen Factory. And um, yeah, Media yeah. Blasters. I don't even know if they're still around though. I'm gonna look this up right now. I don't think so. I doubt it. Because I know a lot of their titles went over to. Um, Oh, damn it. Blue Underground, which does a lot of those Italian movies. All right. Uh, Media Blasters, official site. Still it's still up. So let's see. A lot of their stuff is like anime, but every once in a while they have some wow. horror movies. And I remember they did 2019. Oh, they, they do Ricky O. They're, they're actually going around right now at the oh, Alamo sure. Draft Houses. <laughs> it doesn't have their catalog available. That's weird. you think that they would have... A listing of all their titles but no they don't but i just remember they're they were really good at uh putting out these little tiny movies that most people have forgotten hmm that's interesting i should look through there well they don't have the catalog so i guess it doesn't matter yeah it's i can't find it, it anywhere doesn't. but it looks like they're almost Damn. done though all they got left is just a few anime titles under their uh under their banner they must have be just like closing down a lot of these dvd companies are starting to shut down it's kind of a bummer yeah they did bronx warriors i don't know if you've ever seen that beyond the darkness murder rock Dark craving, eaten alive. <laughs> you my my computer. It just sounds like total fodder for the show. Yeah, zombie holocaust, frightmare. <laughs> oh, frightmare! I've heard about this one. Apparently, some guy gets buried in a Bella Lugosi uh, vampire outfit, and then he becomes a vampire, which is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard of. But it also sounds interesting. <laughs> the bean, which I think is a creature that likes to go through people, not into them, through them. <laughs> oh that yeah that sounds very entertaining yeah so yeah there's a lot of interesting dracula versus frankenstein slaughter hotel um witchery oh yeah that was a uh, plankton uh black demons yeah this is some good stuff right here this is real trash did we did we fill in the episode enough we didn't go 20 minutes oh my god <laughs> i guess it's just gonna be a shorter episode than usual <laughs> Okay, so I don't know what we're going to do There's not really much to say. I guess, yeah. I mean, we go back to, yeah, I mean, we could go back to, uh, like, go into the park or whatever. Nah, I mean, there's nah, so nah, much no, to say fine. about it, but, no, I mean, no. ultimately, I wouldn't recommend it yeah. so at some point. 
The well, I just like I thought because well, originally we were going to do four movies, and I realized two of them were just not that worth talking about. So that's why it's a little shorter than usual. Yeah. Um, I want to do Leprechaun. It's 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 uh something I've been putting off no, for a couple oh, years yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. I want to do it last year for the 25th anniversary, but that that right there, there is like six. I'm not going to talk about Origins. Origins sucked. But um, Leprechaun Back in the Hood, I gotta watch that. Leprechaun in Space, come on. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Leprechaun in Space. Holy shit, I yeah. gotta check that out. Yeah, if I remember correctly, uh, the first two are just normal everyday Leprechaun movies, and the third one he goes to Vegas, fourth one he goes to space, five and six are in the hood, and then there's seven origins. They're making another one, a new one, I think comes out in a few weeks here. But uh, yeah, that's, I've been holding off on doing those. I really, this it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm excited to go visit, to revisit some of those. All right. So everybody, check us out on Facebook under Video Night Podcast. That's our main podcast. is kind of a spinoff of it. And Kersey, thank you for another great episode. Yeah, thanks for... All right, everybody, have a good night. Trash Cinema. Hey everybody, it's been a break. We kind of took a, a little holiday break from Trash Cinema, but we're back. I think it's... What, what fucking season is this now? We started in 15, 16, 17, 18. It is the fourth season that we're launching. And oh. uh, we do a lot of horror stuff, um, you and I. And then uh, me and Kent do a lot of these cheesy, like, canon pictures, sword and sorcery kind of bullshit. Um, but we never really touched upon, yeah. and this is what I wanted to kind of do for the the next season, is real driving, grindhouse, sleazy movies. I mean, it's called Trash Cinema. Let's start embracing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's do it. And uh, so we're going to launch a little bit differently. No horror this time. And uh, I suggested something. I don't think you've seen either one of these. It's the uh, Exterminator uh, two films. That uh, one sleazier than the other one seems more like a high camp direct video or drive-in kind of fare. But um, have you seen these before? I have not. It actually reminded me a lot of uh, Don't Go Into the House. Uh, I thought it might have been like a weird pseudo sequel or something. I Don't Go in the House. You know what? I don't think I've seen that one. I've seen Don't Answer the Phone. Oh, Don't Go Into the House. Well, that would have been good for our horror stuff. But yeah, yeah that's, well, there's uh, also Don't Go in the Woods. It's a movie where a guy. Say <laughs> what? There's also Don't Go in the Woods. There's a, there's a lot of Don't Do This, Don't Do That. But um, Don't Go in the House, yeah, that's all where a guy like lures people into his house and then puts them in like a heat-proof room and burns them with a blowtorch or Holy like a, a flamethrower. Wow, okay, that's interesting. We should do that. I mean, we're not going to stop doing horror. It's just we're kind of going to mix it up a little bit. Uh, that sounds like fun. We could do Don't yeah, yeah. Movies. Yeah, that would be good. Um, so this is kind of in the wake of the Death Wish vigilante films that were really hot in the 70s and 80s. Um, so the funny thing is Death Wish was so huge. And there were tough guy films at the time, but not a lot particularly in that formula. Like an innocent guy who just gets caught up in this whole thing and decides to take up vigilante justice to get revenge. That's something that kind of blew up with this movie, Exterminator. And then the next year or two years later, they did Death Wish 2. And both were big hits, and that's when you started seeing tons of these vigilante films. Even up to this day, they still make them. Yeah, uh, like um, You Were Never Really Here, stuff like that. Um, actually, that one's not so much a revenge movie, but anyway. Yeah, but, um, no, I get it. That's what, I, yeah, I heard that sounds one, more like Taxi one, Driver. Yeah, Yeah, but this one's not really about uh, a normal guy 
who gets caught up into the world of crime. This is a, a veteran getting caught up in the crime. Yeah, and it opens big. I was actually, I can't tell if it's miniatures. It has to be miniatures. I can't imagine they spent that much money on it. But usually these movies don't have much of a flashback to the actual Vietnam era. And it is gore-tastic in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was actually, that's one of the things that was kind of surprising about this movie was just like how high the production value was um, for a story like this. Yeah, I think it was a $2 million budget, made $6 million here in America, but I think it was huge overseas. And it kind of Robert, mm-hmm. uh, kind of launched Robert Ginty as a star for a brief moment. And he, I don't, have you ever seen Robert Ginty before? I, I'm pretty sure I've seen him in a few things, but I don't think I've, I, I wouldn't know the name if I saw the face. Yeah, he, he had a brief bit of like TV fame. He was in Paper Chase, which was a famous movie. Uh, as like the roommate of the star, and then he was in uh, Black Sheep Squadron, which is a World War II TV show that lasts for two seasons, and then all of a sudden just shows up in this, and after this, it is a decade solid of low-budget, sleazy action films that almost all of them went straight to video, but they're made for like international audiences, and he does not look like a hero, but in the 80s, the dumpiest, dopiest-looking, ugly people could be leading men. Yeah, um, that was that was another thing that struck me about it, watching him with his weird lips. Um, I was like, man, he does not really come off as like you know macho Hollywood hero type. No, he almost looks like a Muppet, like just a, a, a between that and this yeah. thing called Splitting Image, uh, where it was just like, I don't know, it's like, are they done? Did they did he is he done cooking? Did the ovens finish him off? No. Okay, we'll just put him out anyway. He's, he's very doughy. <laughs> Put him in the kiln a little too long, and you know. Yeah, well, I also couldn't understand hardly a thing he says. Is there pudding in his mouth? What is he saying? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think for most people, his mm, most right, famous right. his most famous one is Mystery Science Theaters. Uh, they did an episode where they covered one of his movies called Warrior of the Lost World, which is a Mad Max ripoff, and he's more mush mouth than that than anything mm. else. Hmm. I don't know if I've seen that. It sounds familiar. It's, it's one of my favorite. I'll send you a link for it because it's on uh, YouTube. It's one of my favorite episodes of Mystery Science Theater. Man, they just rip him up. It's so funny. <laughs> uh, sounds good. All right, so the basic plot of this, if you haven't got the gist of it yet, is Vietnam veteran comes back home after uh, being at war, uh, is working at a meat factory plant or something along those lines with Correct. Uh, some of his war buddies. Yes, and uh, some criminals start messing with uh, his friends, they they messed him up bad. Like uh, I think they couldn't walk anymore, and that was that was the thing. And so he basically gets revenge on them, and then um, kind of just cascades from there when they want to get revenge on him for getting revenge, and then he gets revenge on them for wanting to get revenge on him for getting revenge on them. So it's like a whole <laughs> thing goes back and forth. Yeah, it's uh, it, they did that in one movie the the right way. It's a movie with Kevin Bacon. It's from James Wan. It's called Death Sentence, which shows like the true weight of trying to get oh, vigilante yeah. justice, which is a phenomenal film. It's a yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic movie. I actually looked up the the critic score just out of curiosity a few weeks ago. It was at, like twenty three. It was really, really reviewed very poorly, but I thought wow. it was great. Yeah, the, uh, the executioner does it in such a slight, uh, sleazy, like, 42nd Avenue, like, oh, this is New York in the 70s. It's so gross. You know, it just feels authentic in its its style and its mm-hmm. attitude, even though it's outrageous. 
Um, by the way, I'll say the guy who gets crippled and put in the hospital, that is Steve James, who five years later become famous from uh, American Ninja. And he did a bunch of those like Chuck Norris, uh, uh, Michael Dudikoff, Kung Fu flicks for like uh, five or six years. Died very young of cancer. Oh really? Yeah, he's got a. That's funny. I remember American. I remember the American Ninja. That was, that was like one of my one of my movies when I was younger. Yeah, he's a, he's best friend. He's one who's in the first three films. Oh really? I did not. I do not remember that. It's been a while. Yeah, the uh, the director of this, James Glickenhaus, he is notorious for making massive piles of shit his entire career. He's the only person who could possibly screw up a Jackie Chan film. By not filming, like he chopped it up and cut it, and then give him any good action sequences. Uh, it's a movie called The Protector in 1985, and it's so bad that Jackie Chan gave up on Hollywood for more than a decade. What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> he turned him into a dirty oh, Harry style yeah, character. It's terrible. <laughs> American Ninja. I think I'm American Ninja. I think I'm confusing that with Three Ninjas. I'm thinking of the kids of the Oh, that yeah, that's Three Ninjas. American Ninja is like a Philippine set. Uh, this white guy he turns out to be a ninja, and he takes on a super ninja with lasers and all sorts of crazy weaponry. It <laughs> also sounds awesome. I would. Like it to would. It, it's, they're they're fun. They're high level trash. Um, yeah, so he takes revenge. What makes it different, I think, is because they're gonna go that extra level, gross, like almost horror movie. Uh, way of dispatching his nemesis. So, yeah, like you said, using blow torches, flamethrowers, uh, grinding him up in a sausage machine. Yeah, but I, they, I don't. Did they even show that? I don't even remember if they showed. The, I think they just mentioned that it happened. No, it happens. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, I'm not sure. I sent you the same cut that I watched. It's the director's cut, and they show him going in it, and, oh, and, and he's panicking, yeah. packing. They shows him, and they show. Yeah, did we? Yeah, they should have two different versions. So, like, what happened was I was checking it out on YouTube that had the full version, but it was in Spanish. And then after a while, I just kind of gave up and had to go with the other version. Oh, okay. I I, I sent the wrong one. I apologize. But yeah, the extended cut shows more grotesque stuff. I'm trying to remember. He does something like he he just he has no real mission outside of taking out those mafiosa guys. It's just like whatever villain he runs across. I think he sets up like some sort of pimp who kidnaps young boys, a uh, guy who beats up hookers. It's just like a free-for-all for him. You know, New York in the 70s was a nightmare, and he's just cleaning up the streets. Yeah, kind of, you know, kind of reminiscent of Boondock Saints in that way, where it's not really a specific target. Yeah, and I, I'm trying... So the end of the movie is... You know, the cops are trying to catch up to him. One of the cops kind of uh, sympathizes with his mission and tries to save him. He takes a bullet, gets killed, and then uh, the executioner, or sorry, the exterminator takes a bullet, and he falls off. You think he's dead, and turns out he had a bulletproof vest. So more adventures to come. (laughs) Right, we should probably explain what happened at the end there. So I think, yeah, I totally forgot that there was a side plot with a detective who... Like, I don't, was she, no, she was a doctor that he was having sex with at the hospital. Correct. And just so happened, one of the, one of those times they were having sex, uh, some thug, uh, unplugged and his, or like, uh, cut his friend's feeding tube or something that, uh, killed his friend in the hospital as he was having sex in that hospital. <laughs> and so, um, that was impetus for him, uh, to try to, you know, get serious about who was killing this guy. And then, uh, he kind of meets up with the the hero later, and they're sort of in the final showdown together. And since he's so kind of understanding of where he's coming from, he uh, helps him uh, get out. 
Yeah, sadly he doesn't survive it. And I, if I remember the original cut yeah. of that movie was that he dies. But fans reacted so badly when they first saw it that they went back and reshot it and added that in. Uh, so like later releases in the theaters uh, had the new ending where he survives. And that's, of course, the, what we get now with the, the video release. And the uh, ending, I thought it was actually a pretty interesting ending. It just him floating ashore with the bulletproof vest, and that's and that and that just ends. Like, yeah. Wow. Well, that, I think a lot of movies of back then they would do that. Ending. It was like the Roger Corman rule. The Roger Corman rule was you don't linger. The minute the villain gets shot, give the hero a, a good like you know panning camera shot and a one-liner, and that's it. You end the movie. They even give us the one line. That's what I was waiting for. Yeah. Now, the second one, second one is fun, but it's a mess. It's, it's nowhere nearly as sleazy. I know it, it's mm. on paper, it looks sleazy, but I feel like there's almost a comic book right. quality to it. Well, that's the uh, that's thing that uh, I'll notice that you'll notice right away between watching them is that the first one is a little, um, the film quality isn't very good, but the second one is actually pretty, pretty good. Um, considering what it is. Yeah. And uh, I thought the opening of that movie was pretty dark and shocking. I did not expect those guys to shoot an old man and woman to death on camera. That was fucked up. And I was also thinking, this makes me sound like a terrible human being. But when he shoots her, he's like, no witnesses, and he shoots her in the ribs. I'm like, that doesn't mean she's dead. You put a bullet in her head. You want to make sure she's dead. And I found myself going, oh, I shouldn't say shit like that. I know, they shot the old man like five times. I mean, come on. Well, I guess if there's only six bullets left and you're a terrible aim, I guess that there's no choice on that one. <laughs> yeah. Now, anyway. Yeah, this so movie... that's how it opens, and then yeah. they, they run out into the, the bad guys who are robbing this convenience store owned by an old man, old woman, known only as Mama and Papa for some reason. That's what they call each other. And so they, they kill them, they run out to an awaiting executioner uh, with a flamethrower and a badass suit now. So he stepped up his killing game. Yes, yeah, so there's two elements in this that make it seem comic booky. A, now he has his basically his his superhero uh, uniform, and two, the villains really crank yeah. up like the cartoonish look. You know, what, what's the main villain? Mario Van Peebles has like this outfit made out of tires, and everybody has like all the spray paint. Oh, yeah, yeah it, it's really colorful and, and kind of fun. I, yeah, I, I loved it. I, I love the villain in this movie. Um, I, I I don't really like his underlings. They're all cartoony and stupid. It's yeah. kind of like the um, Guardians of the Galaxy two, where like the, <laughs> the, the, the like the, the the head Ravager is really cool. You know, Yondu, the blue guy with the, with the arrows. Yeah. And all of his people are ridiculous and, and, and he hate them. But anyway, um, similar thing. And it is interesting that he only used the blowtorch or the flamethrower. And again, I watched the cut version, so I really don't know. But I, didn't he only use it once, and he didn't kill anybody with it, did he not? In, yeah, in the first I, I, I movie... I thought he used it to intimidate. Right, in the first movie, he uses it for just a brief moment, but they used that on the poster, and that was a big thing that sold it internationally. So when it came time for the sequel, hmm. they you know they just started adding it in. But here's the weird thing, okay. This is a very frustrating production. I, I did some research on this. First off, um, there was a four-year gap between Exterminator and Exterminator 2, now, a company in the Philippines made a movie called The Executioner Part 2, tried to sell it as a sequel to Exterminator, 
Um, there is no executioner part one. It does not exist. It's strictly executioner part two, and they tried to fake people out into believing it was a sequel because you know it's easy to confuse the like. I, I think I've called it executioner once. You called it executioner, but it is called exterminator. Now, yeah, it was supposed to come out in '83. And Canon Pictures bought the rights for the sequel. The, the guy who owned it and directed it, or whatever, it moved on, and they hired one of the producers of the first movie. But he had never he had never directed a movie before, and so it was originally greenlit at 1.5 million dollars, a little bit less than the first movie. And the guy screwed up so bad that they had doubled the budget, and they only only shot 40 percent of it. So at a three million dollar budget, and he's not even close to being done. So they fired his ass. They got someone else. Um, fuck, why can't I remember the name of the guy? Uh, he directed The Incredible Melty Man. Now I have to cheat and look. I hate when my memory doesn't uh, work. But um, they brought him in and they said, look, we only have $500,000. And uh, it, William Sachs. William Sachs did The Incredible Melty Man, Gal Galaxina. He, he was known for doing movies on a very, very tight budget, very fast, but also looked very expensive considering. He, like, you know, do a movie for half a million dollars and it looks like it was a five million dollar movie. So that's probably why The Executioner, sorry, I did it again. The Exterminator Part 2 looks much better than the first one. He had a keen eye for how to make something look great. And he said, we're going to well, be... That, that's, that's the thing. The, the film, like, the, the quality is really good, but the movie somehow looks cheaper than the other one. The other one had, like, a lot of helicopter and a lot of right. uh, big explosions. And, um, and somehow, yeah, the quality is better, but it, it definitely dips when it comes to the, the fighting and the gore. Did, yeah, totally. Well, I mean, a lot of it had to be shot, and a lot of it, the money was just gone, so they couldn't, so they had to rush it. Um, so he added more uh, shots of uh, the exterminator in his uh, basically welding outfit, if you want to call it that, because by the time that yeah. they were ready to go a second time, the director wasn't available. Sorry, the main cast member, Robert Ginty, was not available. He was off shooting another movie mm. in the Philippines called The Gold Raiders, and so they had to get his stand-in, and that's why they used the welding outfit so much more. And they gave a lot of the movie over to Mario Van Peebles, who is the villain, and that's why he has so much more dialogue. They're like, look, let's work with the guy, let's give him more scenes, because he's available to shoot. If you watch the end of The Exterminator Part 2, you do not see the hero's face for, like, the last 20 minutes. No. Yeah, I noticed that, and it's really clunky and awkward because of that suit. That yeah. probably wasn't very comfortable and couldn't see him. So there's a scene when he, like, jumps off of a rafter or something, and he just, it, he he didn't jump, he just fell off of it. Yeah, he looks like he plopped. He tried to make it seem like he, he jumped like a badass, but he just, like, stumbled. Yeah. The, um, I like the thing that he took the garbage truck from his friend. Boy, don't be, if you're an African-American, don't be friends with the exterminator, cause, or a woman, because they're all going to die. They're just, it's, just, it's a disaster zone. Yep. Uh, the guy's poison. But he does, like, the A-team thing, where he takes the, the trash uh, truck, and basically loads it up with weaponry, and I love that kind of stuff. So again, a lot of I feel I, I got to stop myself because a lot of this is going to be me asking what was with this or what was with that. So I'll try to limit that. Okay. But what the fuck was with? Okay, so he met some lady. Oh, Did dancing, they know yeah. each other previously? Was she from the first movie? Was she, okay. she no, she's not. But when she looks it? at him in the bar, doesn't it seem like she's supposed to know him? Yeah. What? I don't know what was. But okay. So the lady that he ended up being with, or whatever, that got uh, beat up by the the the, um, the break dancers. 
Yeah. Which I know it sounds like I'm go I'm on a I'm like crazy on a rant here, but this happens in the movie. So he's kind of he's like all, he's like semi-retired for some reason. He doesn't really do the vigilante thing anymore, except for the opening of the movie. But he seems like he's not really into that kind of thing anymore, and he's looking for work. And he meets a, a friend of his, I guess, who's a truck driver, and so he gives him a job. And then he goes out to a bar where there's like a, 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 a lady who's stripping to the worst music I've ever heard in my life. It's like a cat on an old yeah, night night keyboard. <laughs> it was awful. But, okay, so, and they keep looking at each other a lot, and it kind of seems like they know each other. I'm not sure. I don't think they do. And then he he goes out with somebody else. They just, like, he and the, the, the lady up there dancing. Not, it's not really stripping. It's just dancing. It seems like there's supposed to be something there, but I don't think there is. And then he meets another lady who he ends up, like, dating or whatever, and she's also a dancer. So it's really confusing as yeah, what the hell's yeah, going it's, on. Yeah, it's weird. It, I, there has to be somewhere between them switching directors. I really think, like, the opening sequence when he gets those guys that come out of the convenience store, I think that was added on because... I get the feeling that originally it was supposed to start where he's reclaimed his life, he's completely normal again, and then he's forced back into yeah. that vigilante world. But it throws you off because he's still doing it, I guess. <laughs> Part-time vigilante. Right. My, I, like, when I saw that and then saw him, it, you know, like, you see the opening and then you see him kind of going about his daily life not doing anything. So, like, my thought was, was that supposed to be at the end of the movie where they kind of pulling an inception on me? That's gonna be the end. Yeah. Well, but yeah. no, they play. They keep playing because it's like, oh, you're the head leader of this gang. Your your brother was just killed by the exterminator. Like, oh, okay, so he is still a vigilante. Like, it's so confusing. Yeah. You know, it's funny is they spend more money on that sequence with, uh, you know, they they get the bank truck and then they they sacrifice, they crucify the guy and they blow up the helicopter. It's this yeah. huge thing, whatever. That feels more elaborate and expensive than the final action sequence. Which, I mean, basically oh, yeah. he's opening a bag and it blows up and you don't even really see it. And I was like, oh, well, that kind of that's kind of a letdown. Well, the movie was genuinely good at that point, not at the end, but like when the leader charges up his his crew and they go out and start messing, they start fucking shit up. And the the music was really good at that moment. It just got like that bass pumping and they're mm-hmm. shooting people and taking trucks and blowing up helicopters. That that was that's when it was good for me. But then it quickly kind of sucked again because it got back to the weird relationship he has with some woman that he met that seemed like they knew each other from somewhere yeah and yeah then, uh they go she goes dancing out, you know like dancing out in public and then she goes hang out with break dancers who try to kill her for some reason yeah no I no i think no i think the break dancer she was just watching because she was with our hero and then he goes off to do something like go to the bathroom i can't remember but then she separates herself from him and that's when the guys are on the hill watching her and, I mean, it's just purely coincidental, yeah. too, because I don't think they know that he's the exterminator. And then that's when they attack her. They, they beat her legs right. with a baseball bat or something like that. I hate slow-mo. It rarely ever works. And that thing where he's, like, yeah. running slow-mo with the guy and the horse is behind yeah. him. I'm like, this is a really awkward shot. Nobody really put yeah, this together. Really bad. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, so as, you can, as everyone can hear, this movie is a mess. But despite that, it's hilarious in its ineptitude and just how weird it is that, like, yeah, again, you, you pointed out, and I didn't really realize this until you just said it, like, they probably didn't know who he was from a distance, 
But then again, how are they supposed to know what he looks like at all? Yeah, he, true, because he's, he's always in the mask. He's got a coat covering his face with a with a uh, a, uh, a helmet. So like, how can they see him at all? Yeah, which is different than the first one because the first one he's face to face with a lot of these villains, so they know what he looks like. I guess you can make the argument if he's going to yeah. go back to vigilante, he needs to hide his identity. Right, but I, I'm I'm okay with that. But it doesn't. It just didn't make sense, obviously. Because, like, how would they know who he is? How do they know it's not a copycat killer? Besides, in the first movie, he only used as, as the flamethrower once and didn't even kill anybody with it. I don't right, know. It's, yeah. a, it's a mess. It's, it's forced. A mess. You know what's funny is also um, uh, when the second director took over, they shot it in Los Angeles. So 40% of the movie is shot in New York, and it looks like New York uh, for a lot of stuff. And all of a sudden, I was like, that doesn't oh, yeah, yeah. look like New York at all. And, and they just shot it in parks in Los Angeles and tried to, you know, in, in warehouses. And it, it's jarring the difference, but I, it's, it's a highly entertaining mess. Yeah, definitely. I remember seeing this one like two o'clock in the morning when I had insomnia, like on TNT uh, 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 with uh, Joe Bob Briggs. And I was just like, what in the hell is this? This movie looks a lot like Death Wish 3. Now, I don't know if you've seen any of the Death Wish movies, but Death Wish 3 is very similar. Well, dude, my name is Kersey. Of course I'm familiar with Death Wish. Okay. <laughs> that was the dude's last name. I guess, that was yeah. the dude's last name. I, I wasn't named after him, but it kind of seems like I was. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so yeah, I've, I'm well aware of... The third one is like the the final climactic battle where it has that huge-ass like rocket launcher. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the, yeah. But that one is more cartoony, and there's a lot of big production value, and that one is one where they let loose in the streets, yeah. and there's that big, massive war. Now, that is where you, you know, that's yeah. what I was hoping out of the Exterminator 2, is that, oh, this is going to go big. But at the same time, Death Wish was always a much more popular series than Exterminator by a long shot. There's, like, five of those in a remake. Yeah. Uh, another thing that was disappointing was that as they were trying to build up this sense of scale and scope when the gang like crucifies a guy and they blow up a helicopter, but it never really gets that crazy again. No, it never really gets to that point. Yeah, you think they were going to let the ending is in like this abandoned warehouse. Like what the what the fuck? Right, and so many movies back then were shot in warehouses. It's just like what what cheap thing can we shoot in that won't matter if we damage it. I kind of want to see the original script for the movie and see where that went. I mean, if I had, if I had my druthers and billions yeah. of dollars to waste, I would just go, hey, get, just remake it. I don't care. Call it Exterminator Part Two. Just cast a guy with a pudding face, and uh, I want to see the original version of this. Yeah, that would be interesting to know what happened, where it went wrong. But it was probably destined to be wrong from the start. It really wasn't a concept that I, I don't think it was a concept that really could lead to more movies. No, but you know they're probably trying to because Canon Pictures was big on sequels back then, and, and, and they, you know they had a lot of money to go around. So if things had gone right, they probably would have had a, a Exterminator three at least. But um, I think if I remember correctly, it ended up costing like three and a half million dollars. Only made that much. Did well internationally. Did well on video, but I, they just moved on by that time. That's I recommend both. I, I... Well, I guess it's not, it's not terrible. Well, it is terrible, but it's still fun for yeah. the most part. It, it's more fun than it is unfun. I'll just say that. Yeah, the first one isn't as fast-paced, and the action sequences aren't as fun. It's more sinister and more authentic, if you want to consider you know, that the kind of thing were going to happen. So I can recommend it for that. But it kind of looks like shit. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like it was shot by me. It does look bad. It looks yeah. really bad. <laughs> 
Like someone who doesn't know lighting and framing, that's the kind of movie I would probably end up making. The second one looks better, but it's so jarringly like all over the place. That's kind of what what kind of gave the first one its charm is just like how, I mean, it's crappy video quality kind of just leads, it kind of makes it more authentic in a weird way. I get the feeling that it's like, played. It's like, it's like something you're not. It's like something you're not supposed to watch. It's very personal. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing about a lot of these low grade films. They're shot in like 16 millimeter, like Basket Case. It feels like it was something like. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, yeah. Am I allowed to watch this? Is this okay? <laughs> so, wait, wait, what? No, I was just saying, like you know, some of the Grindhouse movies. It felt like you're watching someone's home movies, like some sort of snuff film of you know, the way they were shot, poorly lit, yeah. bad film, and it just felt like you were doing something naughty. Um, whereas the second right. one feels like it was meant for being played on HBO nonstop. Yeah, it's one of those filler movies where it's where like shit. We got to play something at three in the morning. So <laughs> buy something really cheap to play. Yeah. All right. So I don't know what we'll do for our next episode. Um, shit. Now I'm thinking about it. let's let's do those don't movies. Let me see. Let's let's see if we can find those. Sorry. What? Let's see if we can do the don't movies. You know, don't go in the woods, don't answer the phone. I'm going to look on YouTube, see if we can find any of those. Yeah, let's do that. I'd love to uh, do that. All right. Uh, you know what another movie that I've been thinking about so frequently is Jet Least The One? I don't know if that really fits our qualifications for Grindhouse movies mm, or anything, but no, it's, I don't it's know. a movie that I love. Yeah, I know it wasn't... Man, that's a big studio film. That's like an $80 million big special effects bonanza. I don't know. Let's hold off. Maybe wait for next season. We can find another movie about clones okay. or, or replicants or something like that. I know Van Damme made a movie where yeah. he had a replicant of him, and he was a serial killer called The Flame. And <laughs> it's, it's good, bad. Most Van Damme movies are good, bad, though. Yeah. Holy shit, hard target. That, like... Almost ruined John Woo for me. Oh, God. That, I was so crazy for that movie when it came out. Um, I saw that at the drive-in, and I was like ape shit forever. I bought that at VHS, and I wore it out. And it's hard for me now, because John Woo is of a very particular era with most of his American yeah. films. They look like 1990s. And I tried watching Paycheck. I was like, yeah. Paycheck's not that bad. And I watched it. I was like, God, this is boring. It's so boring. Yeah. So... That was Face Off for me. That's a movie I, I, I liked when I first saw it because it was hilarious. And then I hated it. And then I tried to watch it again a few, like a couple years ago. And I was surprised at how bored I was when I was watching it. Why do they keep touching their faces? If someone did that to me, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Stop it. <laughs> over and over. Just uh, fingers running. My, you're in my nose. You're in my eyes. Thank you. My lips. Okay, where's your hand been? Ew, gross. Stop it. Okay, that's, I think that's about oh, it. <laughs> we went longer than usual. That's nice. Remember how we struggled a little bit to get through? Oh, really? We, we struggled usually. We were like 18 minutes like, uh, how do we fill this to 20? So we're at 30. So yay! A mission accomplished! <laughs> well, I mean, usually we pick movies that we either both... We, I, I feel like the last, I don't know, like three or four episodes, we kind of pick movies that we like. So yeah. we don't really have much to yeah. say. Well, when we do the franchises, that's when we really, like, we go an hour on those. But I remember in the beginning, oh, yeah. we were picking movies, and we were like, well, one of them was good, the other one kind of sucked. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, uh, so check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment, and uh, send us out. All right, stay trashy, kids.
Trash Cinema. Hey gang, it is giant monster underwater kind of month lately. Uh, Meg's coming out, and uh, last week we did two shark movies, Shark Night and Bait. This episode we're discussing Piranha, mostly just the uh, 2010 remake, and Deep Rising, 40th anniversary of Piranha, 20th anniversary of Deep Rising. I'm your host, Michael. Kersey's on the other end. Hey, what's going on? I am uh, obviously more than eager to watch Piranha, and I, I apologize. I did not get to watch Piranha 3 Double D, which doesn't make any sense when they released it on um, DVD, because then it's just called Piranha Double D, which makes no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think they were too sure about anything when they were making that. Yeah, it's, a, it's a weird franchise, because... Um, so Okay, so we got the original uh, 1978 film by Joe Dante, which was a spoof of sorts, of Jaws. But just like the howling, I really don't see the humor part. You really have to dig into it. Like it's, And if it's funny, it's really dark humor. I don't know if you've ever seen the howling. Uh, no, I'm familiar with the howling too, though. Okay. Uh, that one's more blatant, but that's inadvertently funny. It was not intentional. Uh, the first one has like this weird... Sub- the, the sense of humor that Joe Dante usually has with his movies is balance out something really, really macabre and dark with something kind of off the wall and wacky. And so it's not outright jokes, and it's not outright spoof, but there's a weird tongue-in-cheek kind of like he's messing with you sense of humor that he does in Piranha and Howling, and even Gremlins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would. I don't know necessarily about that. I don't recall the Piranha being that funny, but maybe it was just not... Uh, I, I wasn't really lining up with the humor. Yeah. Um, but I, they, I think they definitely captured the spirit of that in um, the the remake of it. Uh, definitely has kind of that more modern style, and it's not quite Sharknado territory like the Piranha 3 Double D was. Uh, I thought there was like it, it walked a pretty good line uh, in the in the remake. Yeah, I feel like um, the 2010 remake is a, a love letter to Grindhouse movies without playing down to the Grindhouse. It takes that spirit and brings it up. It doesn't hurt that it had a huge budget for this kind of movie. $25 million is nothing to sneeze at. And it was a really big international hit. So that's why we got Piranha Double D. Uh, but it was done for $5 million, and it's it's almost purposely trashy. Um, it's, it's entertaining. I still think it's better than the other Spawn, or sorry, the other Piranha sequel, which was in 1981 called Piranha 2 The Spawning, which is about flying Piranha, which is stupid. Yeah. Um, that was definitely Sharknado before Sharknado, yeah. Piranha Nato. That was a that was a movie that was just like fucked up from the beginning because it turns out the the guy who I guess he licensed the rights to Piranha. Uh, Roger Corman licensed the rights to an Italian company because it was big in Italy, so he was going to do his version of it on half the budget. And then halfway through, he looked at what James Cameron was doing, and he was like, he's too much of a perfectionist. Uh, he was taking too long to do the shot, so he just fired him. And took over the rest of the directing. So you see bits and pieces there that are interesting, but the rest is just shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a 95 remake. I don't know if you got to see that one. That one's up on Shout Factory right now. That one's actually pretty decent. It's no sense of humor whatsoever, though. It's straightforward, just, uh, you know, uh, no no jokes or anything like that. Just uh, a full-on horror film. It's just a what horror film? A full-on horror film. Sorry, I was drinking something as I said that. That was stupid of me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I have not. I don't even think I've heard of that. Oh, yeah. Um, back in the 90s, uh, 
Roger Corman remade a few of his films for Showtime on a bigger budget with slightly bigger names. He did that, Humanoids from the Deep, and something else I can't remember. But what he would do is reuse the special effects to save money, which is ridiculous, because you can tell the difference between 1978 special effects and a 1995 film. <laughs> it sticks out like a sore thumb. <laughs> all right, so... Yeah, the, uh, yeah I'm, not too, I'm not too familiar with all those weird ones. The, the one that I have the most familiarity with is definitely the... Um, oh, it was a 2010 from yeah, um, they don't shy away from the gore in any way whatsoever. There are moments yeah. where I, I, I just like grabbed my jaw and was just like, what the fuck? How did I forget this? It's horrifying. There's stuff in there that I never thought to get, get in a film. Like, you know, how did this show in theaters that yeah. NC-17 or an X rating? It's so gory. And it has, and it also in a tradition of Grindhouse style of horror or just, you know, cheesy sort of uh, comedy horror films that has actual porn stars in it too because of course you have to have that yeah uh, I can't remember her name but I've, I know who you're talking about she's the one who gets her legs eaten off as she's in the parachute what the fuck is her name yeah I can't remember but I don't know if there's other porn stars in there but I know there's one but also the, the funny thing about these old exploitation grindhouse films is they would always grab a couple of actors that were on their way down uh, so we do have cameos mm. from Christopher Lloyd and Richard Dreyfus. Uh, in this, and then we have um, shit. Well, I can't remember. Adventures of Babysitting, Karate Kid. What the? Hell? I can't remember. Oh, Elizabeth Shue as the lead. And I'm always surprised when certain actors will do like these really, really nasty movies. Cause she was like, I think she got nominated for an Oscar in '95. Maybe she even won. And then she's doing Piranha. <laughs> yeah, and she and she took her job pretty seriously. Uh, if I remember, it, was she the one that was kind of the the head? Yeah, she's um, the mom who saves their asses. Yeah, um, yeah, I felt like she was taking the the material somewhat seriously. Yeah, she could have phoned it in and said, "Oh, I gotta do this for a paycheck." No, she took it seriously and she respected the movie, which makes it work so much better. Yeah, I mean that, that's what makes kind of like cheesy movies so good is when there's a sense of sincerity to it. Right, Ving Rhames, man, he sells that sucker. I mean, he's so good, and and he's the one part about part uh, the second movie that I actually enjoyed. Ooh, I don't know. It went a little, a little too over the top for me. Yeah, I don't know. He's a lot of fun. When he grabs that friggin' motor on the boat and starts to <laughs> chopping them all up as they're going by, I was like, you know you could back up, right? Just kill them, but keep backing away from the pranas. He just stands there still. It's like, yeah. get ready, get out of the water. Yeah, I think they know to get out of the water, buddy. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, this is one that I I didn't see in the theaters and then just on a, on a whim, decided I'm kind of in the mood for a crappy movie. I saw it and then immediately bought it because I loved it so much. Yeah. Now, now have you been able to see it on 3D afterwards, like on home video? Because I imagine it looks so much better on 3D. Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't been able to see it in 3D. I, you know, I desperately want to see that guy's chopped up penis <laughs> in 3D. Because like, who, who wouldn't, right? It's like it's right in your face. <laughs> Yeah, it flies right at the screen. Like uh, whatever Jaws 3D or whatever when yeah. the shark Jaws come at the screen or whatever. It always looks so obviously crappy. That's a weird thing. Okay, so if they don't intentionally make it in 3D, then they convert it into 3D, it doesn't look good. But if they do it in uh, right. 3D originally, everything looks good except half the effects look goofy because they stick out like a sore thumb on home video. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, that was the... That, that, 
I don't know if Jaws 3 ever looked good. No, anybody, no. But, we're, we're yeah, talk- but definitely, <laughs> definitely watching it to, uh, today or at home, it, it's unbearable. Oh, yeah, the slow-mo as it's going through the glass. I'm like, oh, my God, you can oh, see almost even move. the, the it, outline of it's it. Just a still, it's a still shot that just moves towards the camera, and when it breaks the glass, it just immediately stops. It doesn't continue to go further. It's so <laughs> weird looking. Uh, the director of Piranha had done another really fantastic remake, uh, The Hills Had Eye, The Hills Have Eyes, in 2006, and he also did Mirrors with Kiefer Sutherland. He really hasn't done a whole lot since. Uh, a piranha. I think he did Horns with Daniel Radcliffe, but he is definitely a director who can do really great remakes, um, but also do original films as well that, that are pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't uh, seen Horns yet, but I'm really interested in it. Yeah, it's it, is, a, it is kind of... Oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting film, but I think the reason that it didn't get wide distribution is it's hard to... It was a hard sell. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird movie. That's what always fascinated me about James Gunn. I don't see, I mean, I, I he's a very talented director, but it was weird that he really got lit, elevated in a way that a lot of smaller independent filmmakers hadn't. Yeah, I I'm mean, not, his. I'm not sure what uh, that with was. With him being fired, with him being fired recently, it's weird because I don't I don't see why they didn't why Disney didn't see this to begin with. I mean, well, one of his movies is about um, a, a super. Uh, it's about a guy who basically wants uh, wants to be a superhero and basically kills people. I mean, it's not <laughs> he and he, he did it because he thought God wanted him to. Right. Like, it's, it's, it's a not, messed up he's movie. He's not the kind of filmmaker. <laughs> what? It's a messed up movie. So yeah, it's kind of strange that he went from that to what I think it is. And this is me just uh, trying to do a math equation of film. Um, Nathan Fillion did um, uh, Serenity with Joss Whedon. And then the next year, he did Slither with James Gunn. That might be the connection between the two, because Nathan Fillion would work with both directors uh, quite a bit over the next few years. And you know, yeah, he was he was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, he, he was he was a CG monster in that one. But okay, so I guess, yeah, I guess there is a bit of connection. But still, I mean, before you just hire somebody, you kind of want to, especially for a company like Disney. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know if Joss Whedon went to them though, and, and like uh, you know, said, "Hey, this is a guy; he can handle this kind of crazy uh, subject matter, Guardians of the Galaxy." But you know, he apologized before filming even began. He put out a statement that Disney accepted that said, "Look, I was trying to be outrageous like five or six years ago." You know, and I realize now that I shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't have done that. He apologized for this in 2012 and they fired him now. It's not as if it was a surprise to Disney. It wasn't a surprise to anybody. They gave in to right-wingers, uh, extremist right-wingers. I don't want to categorize all of them, but extremist right-wingers who are yeah. trying to take anybody who criticizes Trump down. And James Gunn was notorious for being a very critical person of Trump. They're trying to go after every single celebrity by accusing them of things like pedophilia or what you know other certain things. Which what I've discovered lately is whatever they're accusing somebody of, they've done it first, or the other person hasn't done it at all, and the accuser has, and they're trying to cover themselves. This is like the Trump rule right now: is that whatever he's doing, he accuses someone else of doing in a much much bigger voice. But to be fair, though, uh, this organization that did leak this footage also leaked footage on conservatives as well, just conservatives they didn't agree with. Um, so they're just kind of notorious for being assholes. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the anyway, well, so that that's the thing that is interesting about James Gunn kind of being elevated to a position like that. 
and kind of really uh, spanning his wings and kind of showing people what he's capable of and making some really high quality movies when given a good budget and given a lot of um, uh, freedom to do so. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that a director like this who made Piranha shows some really good shows a lot of promise didn't quite make it in that same no. way. I mean, his career isn't over, obviously. I feel like he has another big movie coming for you know big for him. But, you know, like, okay, so Joe Dante, the director of the original Piranha, of course, he became legendary after Gremlins came out, which was supposed to be a hard-R horror film, which he turned into something different because of Spielberg's uh, interaction. But over the next decade, Joe Dante would do a lot of really mainstream films, but he started off in these low-budget exploitation films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's just one of the... I, I think it, what it really comes down to is that people like that are very subversive or, or, you know, subversive figures kind of have an interesting way of looking uh, at a movie or interesting way of um, making a scene uh, in a movie. And it, some of them are very creative and interesting and innovative and can create something that other people haven't seen before. But a lot of them aren't given a chance to do so. Yeah, some and of the big... It's a little unfortunate. Some of the big directors, they start phoning it in and they have nothing new to say. So you kind of have a, have a guy with a subversive voice to go, look, this is what you're used to. Now I'm going to twist it in a way that you never thought of because you guys just don't think this way. Oh, he's doing – um. Yeah. okay, so it's an anime called Space Adventure Cobra. He's going to do a live-action version of it. And uh, it's going to be like $60 million, $70 million. I think – I want to say that Robert Rodriguez is involved in the production of it as well. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. I don't know. Not, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if that's kind of a movie you give to Dimension. Oh no, Dimension's so, done. Dimension yeah. and Miramax are done. No, no, I don't even know what's going on with the rights to the company. Um, so Robert Rodriguez is like off in a whole new thing. He's working with James Cameron's company uh, to do Battle Angel Alita, which is funny because if you look at his filmography, he doesn't look like the kind of guy that would handle a two hundred million dollar CGI fest. He's really independent. He shoots very fast, and. Um, I was just thinking, this is the same guy who made Machete, you know, <laughs> making a big family holiday <laughs> film, you know. I mean, not family, but it's a big adventure that's PG-13. Mm. Interesting. <sighs> uh, where were we? What, I don't know. Where, I, we, we were talking, talking about Jerry O'Connell's yeah. eating up penis in three dimensions. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's get back to his penis. He was, uh, <laughs> never said that before on the podcast. Uh, he plays, what's that douchebag? Um, that used to go around filming girls taking off their tops, and they used to show that commercial like in the middle of the night all the time. He's doing a parody of him. Yeah, it was the, the right the girls gone wild guy. Yeah, that guy, and and he's almost the same exact idiot. And yeah, uh, you kind of enjoy seeing him eat up. But when he is eat up at first, you don't even realize it. Just pulls body up, and everybody's like looking at it going, "Oh my god!" And they pan out, and um, he's just like, "Hey, my penis." Hey, my penis! My penis is gone! <laughs> Tiny little legs, too. Tiny. The, the, the way that they tear these people apart looks like nothing I've ever seen in a film. The special effects team on this is just top-notch. Yeah, like, his, yeah, his gnarled-up fucking legs looked like they were chomped at. Like it, it looked pretty disturbing. And, and that special effect is easy to understand. They probably just cut a, a hole in the deck or whatever and he stuck his legs through. But I'm thinking of the one special effect that truly made me just, like, screech and, like, what? Um, was when the girl's head, her hair, gets caught in the, the propeller of the, the motorboat. And oh, the guy keeps pulling it. She's yeah. like, no, no, my hair, my hair. And he's so, like, lost in what he's doing. He's not paying attention. He starts it up, and it rips her friggin' scalp off and the whole front half of her face. And I'm like, how the fuck did uh-huh. he do that? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's yeah, it's funny to think that it, it, a movie that we're talking about and we're, we're wincing at how horrible it is is also hilarious at, at the same time. Yeah, it's it's really hard to balance, but it's just like the outrageousness of it sometimes makes it funny. Yeah, like for instance, the guy getting his legs chopped up, and like the thing he's really concerned about is his penis. <laughs> you know, like just kind of the absurdity of the situation. Didn't uh, did is there a thing where uh, the one of the piranhas climbs up through someone's stomach or butt or something like that and climbs out its mouth? Am I wrong? I don't I don't remember that. I see the piranha like goes up into someone's wetsuit up through them and then climb it bursts out of its face. It's like oh my it's, it's so outrageous that it's funny because there's that's the only thing you can do or scream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah that highly. Yeah, it's a high recommendation for me. Uh, yeah. I love this movie. And it doesn't scrimp on the budget at all. The the scope of it's bigger. Um, the, the, I think in the original one, I think they're a mutant hybrid fish or something like that. I can't remember. But it's the uh, in the sequel, it's that they open up this cavern underground because uh, Richard Dreyfuss is fishing with dynamite and it opens up that huge whirlpool. And, uh, you know, they're like prehistoric piranhas that come out. So there's like a million of them. Yeah. So what the, the yeah the idea was that the prana had been like living in that uh, in the underground uh, water, and the only source of food they have is each other. So basically, they become a cannibalistic um, tribe of fish. Yeah. Um, so the the only way to survive is by being the most vicious. So when they're unleashed, they eat everything. There's a uh, the guy who did Piranha Two, the Italian version. Um, he did another movie around that time that was also about piranhas called Killer Fish, and that's on Shot Factory too. I would say fast forward till the last half hour because it's boring until the piranhas start chewing everybody up. <laughs> that's the way most of these kinds of movies are. Yeah, a lot usually of the, go to watch the killing. Yeah, I uh, a lot of the old movies in the '70s. It's like the disaster films and the monster films. I don't understand why I have to sit there for an hour and listen to them talk. And then all the excitement happens. If you think about the original Jaws, it's a great film because you cared about the characters and the, and the way it was done. It was just like there's no slow beats really. Um, but really, the only the monster attack really only lasts like a small chunk of the film. But you know, like then all of a sudden Jaws two comes out and almost the entire movie is the uh, the shark attack. Um, and then Jaws three, which gets so comically ridiculous that it's worth watching. Fuck four. Jaws four is terrible. Well, you don't like Jaws the Revenge, the one where Jaws comes back because it has to kill the, the, the lady yeah, because it, it, she's related to the guy that killed it before? Is it supposed you to be a guy? Like is it supposed to be the same shark? I thought it was supposed to be like a relative of the shark, like the mother of the Yeah, it's a relative. Who? Yeah. Well, the, 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 the correct answer to what shark is it is who cares. Yeah, go shark! <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's a it's a shark that roars like a lion. It uh, apparently followed her from Maine, uh, Amityville Island or Amity Island or whatever it's called, to Jamaica, I think. And then uh, Michael Caine yes. is just I think Michael Caine spent the entire film just counting his paycheck, a uh, one, a uh, two, a uh, three million dollars, and didn't like he didn't care how bad the movie was. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think there's an interview you can find. I, I, it's been a while. But uh, there is an interview he was doing, kind of like a live Q&A thing, and someone asked him about Jaws the Revenge, and he's like, the only thing I remember about that movie is uh, that it paid for my car or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and then and by then, the, the Jaws that they use, I think, is still the original Jaws. It's all broken down. It barely moves right. You can just see, like, you almost see the pistons moving the stupid thing around. It's, it's really bottom of the barrel. 
I don't even remember it moving. And and the way they kill it is by flashing light or giving it a fucking heart attack or something. <laughs> I really I didn't even remember that. Was that was so fucking oh boring. Oh, my God. Um, and then it blows up for no reason. It was so <laughs> stupid. You know, that's one thing. You, you know, everybody says practical effects are the best. And sometimes they do. They work so well because they're so tangible. But some things you cannot do right with physical effects. You just can't do the shark very well with physical effects. Or with... with uh, yeah, with physical effects because it's just so much only so much movement can be done with it. And with all the CGI of the piranhas, it looks so much better than it did in the original 78 film because you just couldn't do it in the same way, especially the gore. There's no way they could have pulled off half that stuff without CGI. Yeah, so he what the, so one of the things I think that you have to learn about doing special effects is you do it all practical, all digital, or you have a good a decent separation. You can't really mix them. Yeah, like for instance, the the thing the thing remake is a perfect example of how not to do special effects because they did have practical uh, special effects for almost all of the creature transformations, but they like tried to touch it up with CG and it just it ended up making it look horrible. Yeah, they did that with Cursed. I don't know if you ever seen that the werewolf movie with Christina Ritchie. Um, the CGI looks so subpar. But the, the actual physical werewolf looks amazing. And then all these movements, I'm like, wait, that's obviously, they don't even look, they're not even the same color. You know, it's not even the same brown texture. You know, it's just, it was terrible. Yeah. The um, the Deep Rising film. Now, that one is one of those, in 1998, the special effects looked amazing. It has not aged well via special effects, but I think it's a fun movie. I think a lot of it is because the characters are so fun. Right, that that was what I was uh, texting to you. Is I really dug the characters, and and uh, yeah, some of the some of the practical effects still hold up pretty well. Um, but again, you know, they had to combine it. You had to combine it with some CG to make it kind of grander in scope. Yeah, but that's just kind of where it falls apart. It was actually very reminiscent of Escape from L.A. with the the, the CG helicopter that just looks fucking terrible and ruins the movie. It's the same thing with the ship, and they do like underwater shots of the ship getting hit by the creature. Uh-huh. It's it looks so fucking bad. There's um, the things that always catch me is when it's uh, like they're trying to replicate a creature mixed it with water. Because I was watching a racer with uh, uh, Schwarzenegger the other day, and there's an alligator in there which looked fine until he interacted with um, smoke and water, and those are two things that were very hard to do back in the '90s. And I was like, oh, that sticks out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. So when you see the tentacles flying through the ship um, and it's bouncing off water, that's when it looks the worst. But um, and here's yeah. the funny thing is, did you realize it was going to be a giant monster or did you think the tentacles were the creature? I thought it was going to be a giant squid. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was kind of my something. See, I don't know why I didn't figure it out because it's basically the tremors worm, you know, in the fact that it has the little tentacles that go out to grab the food and bring it back to the main, you know, to the mouth. Um, at first, yeah. I was like, well, what the fuck are these are these giant worm monsters? I don't know what these are. And then, of course, the big reveal at the end, um, it shows that it's just a behemoth. Yeah. Yeah, this is a movie that uh, they plan on having a big summer release, uh, August of 97. I remember reading about it in Fangoria. Disney's uh, subsidiary company, Hollywood Pictures, um, was planning a big release, and for some reason they pulled it and they dumped it in January against uh, three other movies. I think uh, Hard Rain and Half Baked. Uh, it didn't make shit. It didn't make a dime. It cost $50 million. I think it made like $11 million, and it pretty much destroyed the studio. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of unfortunate, I, for, especially for the 
time it was 98 again yeah uh for when this came out i mean i i would go see it it was a pretty decent effects are pretty good for the most part and i like the the chemistry of the characters i, I thought it was a pretty decent movie yeah, it's from the director of The Mummy. Um, it's his only R-rated film, as far as I know, because before this, he did evolve. I don't know how he went to... Okay, so he did uh, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, then he did The Jungle Book, and then Deep Rising, and then The Mummy. And you're like, well, I get the Deep Rising to The Mummy part. What What was that previous thing? <laughs> Family films that are rated yeah, G? Down. What? Huh. That was weird. Um... Yeah, I mean, probably this is probably not as good as the Jungle Book, but a uh, pretty decent movie. I, I, you know, any movie that opened like the first kill of the creature was sucking this lady through a toilet. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that immediately grabs my attention. Yeah, there's some outrageous stuff there. I like the fact that most of the people in the movie were not good, and and that kind of makes it a fun, and also yeah. kind of makes it questionable. It's like, are they going to redeem themselves? Are they going to turn to even worse monsters? So you got these mercenaries that have hired. Um, this this crew, this ship crew, um, and he's like, uh, well, I don't care what they're doing. If the money's there, I do not care. And um, Treat Williams plays it off so likable. Um, you know, he's a, he's a tough guy, but he's yeah. got this like wry sense of humor to him, which doesn't make him a, a cliche in these this kind of genre. Yeah, uh, I I thought they handled most of them pretty well. I think that oh god, what was her name? That was in it. Uh, Funky Johnson. Can never remember her name. From X Men. Say what? Her name's Famke Jansen. What? I can't hear you. Yes. Um, I, I didn't really get her role in the movie. She just kind of appeared. Um, but that's fine. I, again, she wasn't necessarily, she wasn't really the good character because none of the characters are heroes or, I mean, they're there basically, what, to rob people? Was that the whole thing? Yeah, so their, like their plan was, move? the original plan was for them to stop the ship, dead in its track, while the... the terrorists or mercenaries we're going to call them we're going to get on the ship rob the vaults whatever and leave and um turns out they get to a ship that's completely covered in bones which is one of the most horrific man yeah. there's so much gore in this movie too when when, when they cut open the yeah, opt- yeah like the squid monster when the guy flies out and half his face is gone he's like ah, ah! Oh, oh yeah that was that was that would look really good too i was surprised how good that looked and uh, it wasn't just bones; it was also like fucking torn up muscle tissue still stuck to it, some eyeballs left. In. Yeah, it was gross. When he describes uh, what happens, he's like, "Well, no, they don't. They don't uh, eat you. They suck you dry of all your fluids, and you know, slowly uh, take apart your muscles and flesh, whatever. And the whole time you're alive. I'm like, oh, sweet shit, that sounds horrible. Yeah, they drink you, is yeah, what he says. They good. drink you." Yeah, basically. So, uh, yeah, this movie had an excellent uh, setup. The character chemistry was great. There's some really good jokes in there. The one that I that got me laughing so hard was um, the uh, the black guy. What was the? Um, they were they were saying something, and he said, you know, he was, he was something about drinking milk or eating something. He said, you know, I'm a grown boy, and the other guy said, you're still growing. Like, you know, little moments like that are hilarious in the movie. Um, so, yeah, I think the character chemistry was probably the strongest part. Yeah, and, and the one thing I do like is, yes, they were mercenaries, and yes, they had these crazy machine guns, but somehow managed to not be an alien's clone, which it's so tempting because around this time it just seemed like everything with an alien or uh, some sort of giant creature, they were always cloning uh, that film, and uh, this somehow uh, subverts that whole uh, subject matter. 
I, I don't know. When I was watching it, the first thing I thought of was Alien and the Thing. Really? Because I didn't think other. of that. Really? Yeah, there's a know. movie... It, it, it... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, there was a movie that came out a year after this I went and saw in the theaters called Virus with Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Sutherland. Now, that movie feels like an alien ripoff. And that movie sucked. Yeah, well, it, it has the same sort of setup, I suppose. You know, Alien is a bunch of people... Are, um, or whether they were mining in space. I can't really remember what their jobs were, but they're more like blue-collar workers, uh, and then they get trapped basically inside their own spaceship while a creature is there. And this one, they're trapped inside of um, a ship while a creature is hunting them down. Yeah. So it's similar, but yeah, it kind of takes it from a different angle. Yeah, it's not like this... The I don't know what it is. I just feel like after I saw Aliens at every... I'm talking the second one, the, the James Cameron film... Yeah, every, yeah. Everything had this like the same beats, even down to the guy who would be like, "Come get some, come get it, yeah, come on, come on," <laughs> and stuff like that. You're like, "Oh, the Starship Troopers totally stole that scene from Aliens." Good going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I recommend both films yeah. highly. I would say Piranha is the better of the two, maybe just because um, Stephen Summers is a decent director, but he's kind of clumsy at times. I think his only perfect film would be Odd Thomas. Um, but he's also he also did G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. So, yeah, walk away from that one slowly. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'd recommend both, and I would definitely recommend Piranha over uh, Deep Rising. But Deep Rising is still pretty good. All right. Um, so uh, they just released a uh, special features-filled version of the uh, Deep Rising film. I think Kino put it out, not for a, not for a horrible price. Um, it's like I think it's like twenty-five bucks. And um, I think it has good commentary tracks and stuff like that. It's a film that needs to be rediscovered. It was on Blu-ray before, but it was one of those bargain basement, like $5 Blu-rays where there's no special features. The picture hadn't been cleaned up at all. So, you know, that's there to uh, check out if you really, really dig Deep Rising. I think I'm tired. I'm sorry. I, my brain is kind of gone. <laughs> um, that is it for us here at Trash Cinema. Uh, check us out on Facebook under Video Night Podcast. We are a spinoff of that show. And Kersey... Send them out. All right. Stay trashy, kids. Trash Cinema. Hey everybody, welcome to Trash Cinema. This episode we're discussing two 3D shark films, Bait and Shark Night, in honor of Meg coming out here in a couple weeks. Uh, I don't think it's going to be in 3D, but uh, boy, they don't really make any big budget shark movies that often, so we, we got kind of excited about this one. I'm Michael, and Kersey's on the other side. Hey, what's going on? Um, are, you, uh, are you into like the giant monster like you know like the giant mutant alligator giant shark and, and stuff like that giant spiders i was until i saw like lake placid four or five or something <laughs> uh really late night uh that kind of was, i was like you know what? i think i'm kind of done but like it really first started for me watching these kinds of movies with um anaconda um the one with john boyd yeah I watched that when I was a kid, and I just had a ball with how terrible it was. And I like the second one. Uh, it's not as bad, therefore not as can't be fun. Uh, I like, I do like the studio production ones. I don't really like the Sci-Fi Channel, the direct-to-video ones. Those I could do without. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'm not a big fan of Sharknado. I don't think I ever will. I, I don't really get the appeal. Yeah, I've heard that it's gotten really crazy and wild, but for the most part, I think that I'll only watch if it's you know riffed on by uh, the guys from Mystery Science Theater. Right. You know, when you really when you only make the movie because you know it's stupid, it's not as funny anymore. Yeah, there has to be a sincere quality to it to make it want to. I guess there's a fun in not knowing that it's purposely... Like, okay, Zombieverse was uh, one of those movies where there's so much potential and it kind of went to shit because they knew they were making a terrible movie. And that's not as fun. you got to find it, you know, the cheesy quality and share it with friends. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the first movie we're going to discuss is Shark Night, which was a Labor Day release 2011 from New Line Cinema from the directors of Snakes on a Plane! Uh, okay, so this is the one uh, with the, the teenagers on the trip, right? Yeah, so this is the one where they're going on like a, a backwoods cabin uh, vacation. And uh, it's, it's a hybrid movie, actually. It's, it's kind of like a giant monster movie mixed with redneck hillbillies. So somehow it combines hills right. of eyes with Jaws. Right, and this is the reason why I had to ask, because the titles of the two movies should be flipped. It really doesn't make sense that the, the the other movie Bait is called Bait when there's like really no bait happening. True, you, true. You know, like a title like that, you title like that, you'd assume that there's some kind of clandestine sort of shark shit that goes on. This is exactly what this movie is, so they they should have just switched the titles. Yeah, the uh, I would say the latter one's a lot more fun. Uh, shark Night it seems like it had so much potential, but it's in, I mean it says in the title that it's night, but it's so murky, so hard to tell what's going on in so many of the sequences, which is weird because it's a three D movie, and usually with three D movies you need to be overlit for the effect to work. So I, I mean I obviously didn't see this in the theater. I don't think anybody really did. Uh, this is one of them I just picked up on video one day and just like ah oh, check this out. Oh well. At least it moves fast. Other than that, it sucks. Right. When you said it was in 3D, I, I, I did not believe it. Uh, it's just so dark all the time that you might as well not even have the 3D effects at all. Yeah. Uh, so this one, it's uh, so yeah, like I said, to... they take on hillbillies who are basically uh, bringing – this is the part that confuses me. And um, So they have tons of different sharks. Well, not tons, but quite a few different sharks. For whatever reason, I didn't catch – um, and somehow they're in freshwater. I don't. How is this possible? They miss this. Uh, they did. There was a line when one of them was like bitten or something, and uh, the, the black guy, of course, you know, black person killed first, or whatever. So uh, he gets bit, and then someone says something about how there's salt water. Uh, so that I guess was supposed to try to explain it. But I do not remember if they actually fully explained what was happening. How is that working anyway with water? I'm, I'm stupid when it comes to earth and environmental stuff. So when a river is flowing into the ocean, at what point does it stop being salt water? I mean, is it a slow mixture as it goes? Like, okay, so here in the ocean is you know, all salt water, and then eventually it goes 90, 80, 70, 60, and then, and then the rest is fresh water. Is that how it works? It has to work that way. Uh, I don't know, because I feel like, yeah, again, you know, um, this was not my area of study in school, so I'm going to come off like an idiot, probably. But the way I would assume is that uh, 
lakes and rivers are bottlenecked from oceans, and so it's filtered before it goes to there. Like, That's my best guess. I maybe, have no yeah. idea. Feel free to to call me an idiot later because I have no idea. I, I did like the fact that they went beyond just the great white shark, which is like in every single shark movie. This one added like a hammerhead shark, and then added like these little tiny sharks, like almost like piranha style, which uh, do a little chomp, chomp, chomp here. Which makes me think the whole time that we were watch, I was watching Shark Night. I kept going, "Fuck! I should have suggested piranha. We should have watched piranha. Damn it!" <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it would have been a little more fun, uh, um, but that that's all right. I mean, it's, it's not bad. It's it's kind of it it, it kind of is slow to start uh, with especially with these kind of movies. It's the usual teen comedy horror kind of thing, you know, where it's like oh, a bunch of teenagers on a trip. There's a bunch of glamour shots of them doing water sports and in bikinis and stuff, and then eventually gets to the part that we all want to see: the sharks eating people. Yeah, it does take about a half hour to get to that, and so you got to be patient, and I was not patient. That's why I was on my phone, and I think somewhere along the way, that's when I started missing some serious details. Uh, they do that a lot in these movies, like the, the Friday the 13th remake is something that you spend quite a bit of time with uh, the kids first and building their world, and then you know Jason comes in, except that movie did it in a way more interesting way. Mm-hmm. And again, I haven't, I've, I couldn't get past the first couple minutes, which you've said is, is pretty harsh, but... It, w- it does get better. As it goes I, yeah, I, I really enjoy the Friday the 13th remake. I, it's, fuck that Nightmare on Elm Street remake, though. though. Yeah, that sucked. Okay, so um, I would say the movie really starts to pick up once they kind of introduce the second element of the movie, which is the hillbillies. So the hillbillies were supposed to like try to help them kill the shark or at least help them survive the sharks. I missed that because I was also on my phone. <laughs> so I'm kind of quite remember why they had the hillbillies were there to help them in the first place but either way there is a point when hillbillies show up and kind of take them out to the middle of the ocean that becomes very apparent that they're not there to actually help them in fact they're using them as bait for the sharks which is why it should be called bait okay so why did they have the sharks in the first place was it to sell them off they were collecting them up somehow from the ocean and they were going to sell them as like exotic animals no they were uh that's when that's where the cop which by again let me go back for a second the um the cop um the guy who plays the cop he was in blade and he oh yeah donald Logue. yes in gotham and he's probably the only good thing about this movie because I, I i like him generally as a character actor um, so when he gets involved, it's a much more interesting movie. Yeah, he's a lot of but fun. I believe he's, a, he's a very lively character. There's another actor in here as a sub-character who's like the tall, goofy best friend. Uh, that's yeah, Joel. Yeah. What, uh, his name's Joel David Moore. He was in Avatar. He is actually a Portlander. Oh, really? Well, that's interesting. All right. So, um, yeah. So the point is that they're actually keeping the sharks because they're trying to make money off of them by using live baits, you know, humans to be eaten by sharks and sell it as like their version of Shark Week because that's like the most highest rated TV show. Oh, um, right. So they're trying to like break into that market except make it a little more hardcore, I guess, is what, <laughs> is what they were trying to do. I guess they're going to have to sell it on the underground because you can't just stream that live on YouTube. Right. I'm not quite sure what the point was. I think... I think they were trying to make it look like an accident or something like that. 
you know, someone falls off the boat and oh, is eaten okay. by a shark kind of thing. Yeah. But they were clearly putting chum in the water when people, when a person was in the cage. And the fact that they're screaming and crying for help before they even get into the water, I don't think that's going to sell. So, no, I mean, these guys weren't the brightest. They were tough. I mean, it seems like it took forever to kill off that one main villain. Um, but it didn't seem like they're exactly the brightest guys on the planet. That That is true. They did. Um, you know what was funny is that I don't know if these actors were American, the, the hillbillies, but they, that hillbilly accent was so weird. I'm not even quite sure if those actors were American. Uh, well, I know it's a Canadian production. A lot of those actors are from Canada. But there's a mixture of some American actors in there. And uh, Joshua Leonard, who was one of the... Um, the uh, Blair Witch uh, guys, you know, one of the, the three cast members, he, the only one to have an acting career outside of Blair Witch. Um, I'm pretty sure he's from, like, Pittsburgh or something like that. Hmm. Interesting. Well, there, there was something off about their accents. I, I don't know if it's just because that accent was difficult for the actors, but it did feel foreign to me. Yeah. Oh, like when you watch those old Italian films and they're trying to pretend like they're from New York when they <laughs> clearly shot it in Sicily, and they're like, "Nope, that's not exact. That's not how Americans act at all." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so what what do you think? Would you suggest this movie? No, uh, I feel like the first time I watched it when it first, when it came out what eight years ago, I kind of liked it, and I especially liked it because of Donald Logue's performance. Um, but now yeah. I was bored out of my mind. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a uh, it's a rough one. I mean, if if you are interested, uh, I would probably say like go into the start at the second act, so around the thirty minute mark. That's really when it picks up. I mean, everything before that, you don't even really need to know or care. No, it's it's really toss away. Yeah, I think the movie in general. I think it was like eighty four minutes long. So, you know, it's like the first half hour is just filler. I don't understand why studios do this. It's like we have so much money at our disposal. Could we have someone else come in and, you know, make the characters more entertaining? Uh, and it's not like David Ellis is an incompetent director, so it's not really about that. It's just about pacing. Uh, I think he did a, a decent job with the two Final Destination entries that he did. I think he did two and four. Hmm, really? Snakes um, on a Plane, though, was a huge was letdown. <laughs> Uh, which was the fourth Final Destination? Was that the 3D one? Uh, yeah, that's a 3D one that was on uh, NASCAR, I think. Oh, never mind. I don't remember that one. I yeah, that's... Like the, the, I saw that one in the theater. That's the one I like. That's the worst one. That is flat out the worst really? of the bunch. The fourth one. Yeah, like, number five. Oh, no, no, four. Four. Oh, okay, okay. I like five. Five's good. Yeah, they, they added that new element of, like, if you kill somebody else, you add their time to yours. I thought that was interesting. Well, also it the really fact that it loops back scene. around, doesn't it? Doesn't the fifth one loop back around to the first movie? It's a prequel? Yes. And, yeah, uh, yeah I think, like, the, the the last scene where his friend is trying to kill him, I thought was really, was actually worked really well as being kind of an intense moment. But we, we're talking about Final Destination. Um, this movie, you know... I think the fact that both of us were on our phones for it kind of speaks for itself. 
Yeah. Uh, we should do the Final Destination series sometimes down the road because I actually do quite enjoy most of those. And I, and I should revisit 4 because I just remember the time bitching because the special effects look so terrible. Like, I didn't see it in 3D. I saw it in 2D, so therefore they didn't pop the way they were supposed to, so it, it didn't look right. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to do uh, Final Destination series. Um, so the second movie, Bait, is one I don't even think even got released in theaters. It was intended to. It was in 3D. But I think only in its original country, Australia, is where it was released in 3D. Um, I know we had. We, I remember when I was working at Target that we had it on Blu-ray in 3D, and I was like, eh, "Okay, they spent a lot of money on something that didn't go anywhere." Hmm. How much does it cost even that, to convert? I think, yeah, well, I would say probably it costs minimum at least five million dollars to do a proper 3D conversion. Yeah, because you're talking about shipping costs and, and stocking all that stuff. So yeah, it's got to be up there. That's a weird one to do. Like, who the hell even knows about the movie Bait? Yeah, like, no, it's. I found it. I was uh, watching on the Roku channel, and uh, I was like, well, sometimes these shark movies can be truly hideous. And I was trying to think of something to watch with Meg, you know, with Meg coming up or whatever. And uh, I remember, yeah, yeah, you know, when it first came out, I was like, well, Julian McMahon's in it. And at the time, he was a little bit of a name because he was on Nip Tuck in those two Fantastic Four movies. So I gave it a shot, mm. and I actually found it kind of entertaining. It's, it's very contained which sometimes those are the best scary stories um so that this one is uh there's a tsunami and the core cast is inside of a mall and most of it actually they're in a grocery store and the tsunami comes in and just unbelievable chaos it's more like a disaster movie for the first 20 minutes and in with that come the sharks and i don't mean with and in the ridiculous fashion that sharknado does it because there's just no way in hell that shark would probably even survive being in a hurricane uh, this gives you the idea that all that water rising has brought the sharks with it. And I think there's only two sharks, right? Maybe three, and they're trapped in the mall with them? Yeah, there's very there's very few. They, they don't... I mean, there, there are, you know, special, special effects, which clearly were meant for 3D, because watching it uh, the way that we did does not look very good and just kind of is awkward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, whenever I stuff's mean, flying you know, at you, has, you know that it's meant for 3D. <laughs> right. So, yeah, kind of like, it's it's kind of a mix between the mist and deep blue sea. Kind of, you know, the being trapped, you know, especially being trapped in a grocery store. Um, yeah, you just, uh, the mist with sharks, basically, is what it was going yeah. for. Um, and a lot of it, it's weird that it starts off with um, a robbery. And then the disaster, and then it turns to a shark movie. So, from the very beginning, you don't spend 20 minutes listening to these characters have drama, which is the biggest thing they always do wrong with both genres. Giant monster movies and uh, disaster films, so you have to spend all this time hearing people bitch. It's like a Godzilla movie. I don't give a shit about the first hour. I want that last half hour when Godzilla's destroying everything. Yeah, I know. That's what was uh, wrong with the, uh, the Godzilla remake. Um, a couple of years ago. Yeah, everybody um, hates the 1998 version, but it's not boring. It's stupid, but it's not boring. Shit happens all the way through. Exactly. You know, I, and that's the the shame too with that because the Godzilla creature and the, the fight that it has at the end was actually really cool, but it's kind of it's bogged down with just a bunch of stupid drama that you don't care about. Yeah. Uh, so and, and there's only really big. Two big set pieces, the uh, parking garage where there's two groups that are caught, 
um, and then inside the grocery store. I thought the the parking garage one was actually quite amusing. And when that douchebag who throws the dog in order to distract the shark from eating him uh, ends up getting chomped on, and the dog just like swims right past him, that was pure justice for me. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty good. The okay, so here's the thing that I'm confused about. Oops, sorry, my phone. Um, thing I'm confused about, um, those, the, the, the opening scene, that was in the U.S., correct? And then this takes place, it kind of sounds like Europe, it's, uh, maybe it's uh, No, I'm almost, hmm, maybe I don't remember the beginning, because I watched it about two months ago, but, um, I feel like all of it is set in Australia, in the mall. I, I'm almost certain it's yeah, set in Australia. There's this, like, well, there's this opening scene that's really weird, that, of the guy and his friend and his sister, all hanging out on the beach or whatever. Oh, like right. I forgot the flashback yeah. when he first dealt with the shark, and then it goes forward in time. I uh, no, I can't remember where that's set. Yeah, because I, I, if I remember correctly, their accents were Western American, and then everyone else is Australian, and so just kind of jarring. I, I wasn't sure if this was supposed to take place at the same place. Now, let me ask you this. Have you seen Sharknado, the first one? I tried. I couldn't finish it. There's this whole bullshit story about this waitress at this bar, um, and she keeps having these shark stories that she keeps like hinting at but won't tell us. And it's just like, yeah, we got it. You're going to tell us at a pivotal moment when you're in a dark room with a friend. You're going to tell him. It's, it's the whole gremlins rule when you're, you know, when she told the story of her father being caught in the chimney. We got it. But shark, uh, so I almost said shark night. Bait does it a much better way. You know, they give you that little. Uh, tidbit first of why he's so afraid and then you know that later in the movie he has to become the hero that he needs to be and if someone's going to survive all this I think they did it much better in that film yeah I would, I would definitely agree with that uh, it's not the most entertaining movie of people being stuck in a grocery store again I would watch Mist yeah. but um, it, it wasn't bad it really it, it wasn't bad I don't think it was it was great either i think a lot of the acting was extremely poor uh in places uh but you know that's just kind of par for the course for these kind of movies yeah i just i like kind of like the fact that they knew they had very little money they had to spend most of it on the 3d and the sh still seriously why spend it on the 3d why do you even fucking bother just you know make the special effects better get a better cast i just don't get that but i like like kind of the escape mm -hmm. methods that they were trying to use you know utilizing the tanks you know the 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 chains that were above it, you know, using what they had with them to kind of MacGyver their way out of it. Yeah, that was interesting, especially the the scene where the guy is kind of like weighing himself down with the earth. I mean, I don't think he was weighing himself down on purpose. The point was to like kind of have a metal protection from the sharks um, biting him. Uh -huh. And it was interesting that they had to, you know, have like this whole system set up and then it just, it wasn't long enough for him to like reach the... Um, to turn off the electricity because they were afraid of being shocked. Right. So there's that scene where he kind of, they kind of build a suit uh, to protect him from being bitten by the shark so he can go there long enough and have a tube for him to breathe in, but it's not long enough, and so he just has to you know, let go of everything in, in order to reach it, and then the thing started weighing him down. Uh, I thought that was a really good scene. What works about Deep Blue Sea is, I think, that kind of idea is that they always had to find a way to get you know up and higher in that whole facility. That's a good stuff. The stuff that sucked, I think, the, seriously, I can't believe an $80 million shark movie in 1999 had such unbelievably bad special effects. It's not a terrible movie, um, but there's a lot of stuff you just kind of like wince at. 
Um, and plus, Randy Harlan's always been kind of a heavy-handed director and not really nuanced when it comes to horror, especially. And I think they took some of those uh, elements and brought them over to bait. Now, I haven't seen Deep Blue Sea 2. I don't think I'll ever see Deep Blue Sea 2. But have you seen it? No. Yeah. Why wait? Why do they wait so fucking long? Just remake the movie at that point. I don't get why sometimes uh, Tales from the Hood 2 is coming out soon from Universal Pictures. And I'm like, part one was in 1995. Way to get around to a sequel, guys. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's interesting. Are there any like really long periods of sequel, like a, a long period where there's a sequel that you liked? For instance, like the Creed movie or Blade Runner 2049? Are there? Um, I know that Blade yeah. Runner 2049 is a good movie. I thought it was beautiful, but like the original, I thought it was slow and boring. I have ADD. That's not my kind of movie. I I respect it and I think it's a well-made movie, but I'm not gonna ever go watch it again. Uh, Creed almost feels like a reboot. Yes, it's still in the same universe, but there's something fresh about it. A lot of times when those sequels have long delays, it doesn't work because the audience has moved on. Um, I'm trying to think, of, a lot, especially the direct-to-video ones. I, I almost have no interest in the direct-to-video sequels. Yeah, I think that, the, that uh, it's also a, a, a time thing, too, so... Movies, especially ones that are 20, 25 years old, are different than they are today. They just, right. They just, what's, what, what worked then does not really work now. So a lot of movies that try to ape off the success of their predecessors kind of fall into the trap of making the same movie or keeping in the things that kind of don't hold up today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, all, yeah, like you were saying, just waiting too long. So, like, Incredibles 2, for instance. Yeah. I don't... I, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I, I gave a shit about the movie when it first came out when I was, what, six, seven? Like, I'm not... I don't care now. It's 20 years later. You know what does, I think, really works, even though it only did okay at the box office? I mean, considering how much it was spent on it, was Tron Legacy. I shouldn't say okay when I think it made $175 million at the box office. I really like Tron Legacy. Really? I, I know some people they, don't. I know some people that don't like the series at all. That, right? Well, I'm sorry, what? Did they, did they make a Tron Legacy 2? They talked about doing a 3. Uh, they had it in pre-production. Disney had the cast set. I think Jared Leto was joining Killian Murphy as the villains. Um, and Jeff Bridges wasn't going to come back, I don't think. It was going to focus on his kid. And Disney looked at their slate and said, uh, we have no openings, so they shut it down. Fuckers. Hmm. Anyway, would you suggest bait? Uh, yes. <laughs> Very succinct. But yeah, I, I would uh, probably recommend this one too, especially out of, out of the two that we talked about, definitely this one. I like finding some of these smaller horror movies that had decent production value that weren't intended for straight-to-video. Like, they had some hope of getting in theaters, so someone gave a shit instead of just phoning it in. Uh, well, what's the cost of it? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, how much are we going to get out of it? Okay, so the budget has to be this, considering the potential of how much we're going to make out of it. Someone just said, hey, we have $15 million, let's go have fun. Yeah. The, uh, the, sh- the uh, shark... Uh, world uh you know it seems like there's a new one every single day it's like the four-headed shark you know the shark to push uh uh, uh shark uh, what's the other one um 
mutant shark versus giant crocodile or something like that. It just feels like there's so many of them. There's not a lot of crocodile movies, and I gotta tell you, there's only like two or three good ones. And I don't know why it is they make so many shark movies that they can't seem to make a good, you know, or even a decent crocodile movie. Mm. Well, I mean, to be honest, the only real good crocodile movie is probably Indiana Jones 2. <laughs> you know, they were only in it for the last part of it, so. Yeah, well, barely. There's one called Rogue. I, I didn't mind. Um, that had the guy from uh, Prison Break, Dominic Purcell. Uh, and Orlando Jones, that was about 15 years ago. That had a decent budget on it. Uh, there's Lake Placid. There's the old Crocodile movie, or no, Alligator movie with uh, um, shit. Why can't I remember his name? Uh, he was Max Cherry and um, Jackie Brown. Hmm. I'm gonna hate myself. For oh this. yeah, yeah. Uh, John Forster or uh, Robert Forster. Like Thank that. you. Robert Forster. There we go. Um. Which ones do you say? I was, I, can you go through that list one more time? I, okay. had, I was going to say something about one. Uh, Rogue from 2006 or 2007, Lake Placid from 99, and then Alligator from 1980. I feel like there was another Australian alligator movie, but I can't for the life of me remember the name of it. That wasn't bad. It had the guy from uh, Alias, Michael Vartan, in it. I don't know very many alligator movies. I just Other than that, Lake Placid yeah. 4 or 5 or whatever that... There are no good Stop squid movies. There are movies. no good octopus movies. <laughs> I know, you, you know, there's no Kraken movies or things like that. You know, I, that's the thing that I think we were talking about with Deep Star Six. Um, we we're saying it's like there really isn't a movie about exploration of uh, the ocean. Yeah, well, you know, well, there's, there's Deep Rising about exploring. Uh, oh, I don't, I don't remember. I don't think I saw that one. Oh my god! Okay, so that's your assignment. We're gonna watch Deep Rising, and I'm gonna find another deep sea movie or whatever, and that'll be the end because we've done three of them this summer. We can't keep doing these ocean water movies, but you gotta see Deep Rising. It's it's so much fun. Uh, special effects, obviously, okay. 22 years later don't hold up, but it's a hoot. Yeah, I, I'm totally down for that. All right, I'll, I'll find that, and I'll try to get something else to pair with it. Then uh, it will be time for us to tackle the Halloween franchise, because uh, mm-hmm. I figured that's going to take us a while. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be like the Friday the 13th one. It's going to take at least two, maybe three episodes. Yeah, probably. All right, so that is it for us here. Check us out on Facebook under Video Night. You'll find all our episodes there. Um, and, Kersey, go ahead and uh, say goodbye to the kids. All right, stay trashy, kids.